There comes a point when the right to vote requires a fight to vote. MSNBC Films presents Battleground Georgia, a story that explores the ugly history of voter suppression and how Georgia is leading the charge against it. Something has to change. The old South is being replaced by the new South. Battleground Georgia, part of the Turning Point documentary series from executive producer Trevor Noah. Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC. Tonight on The Readout, Richard Nixon himself, disgraced, impeached, forced from office in the end, got a pass by comparison to Donald Trump. Reporters hate Trump with an all-consuming mania. They hate him so intensely that at times it's been amusing to watch. I'm sorry, what, Tucker? What? Who hates Trump? Who hates Trump? Remarkable hypocrisy, given that we've learned that Tucker says he hates Trump passionately. He said it just six weeks after those remarks. And yet to this very day, he is still doing Trump's bidding. Also tonight, Rupert Murdoch, the man at the top of Fox, whose media empire has radicalized right-wing audiences all over the world, admits he does it for the money. Plus, global protests on this International Women's Day at a time when women's rights are being taken away in lots of countries, including here in the U.S. We begin with the outpouring of praise Donald Trump is bestowing on Fox's chief chief propagandist Tucker Carlson for his revisionist history of the January 6th insurrection. He's calling it a great job by Tucker and calling for the members of the January 6th committee to be tried for fraud and treason. Now, I know, I know what you all must be thinking. Joy, come on, why are you starting your show with this tomfoolery? And you're right, you're right. Normally, this would not be considered news at all, except for the fact that yesterday we learned what the guy Trump is praising has actually been saying about him behind the scenes, thanks to the latest filing in the $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit by Dominion Voting Systems. In the final weeks of Trump's presidency, Carlson was texting with another person saying, we are very, very close to being able to ignore Trump most nights. I truly can't wait. I hate him passionately. I can't handle much more of this. In another text, Tucker writes in reference to Trump's presidency, quote, we're all pretending we've got a lot to show for it because admitting what a disaster it's been is too tough to digest. But come on, there isn't really an upside to Trump. Did you hear that, Fox fans? Did you hear that? Tucker deems Trump's presidency a failure. He went on to call Trump a demonic force and a destroyer. The Dominion lawsuit has given us all a glimpse of what folks over at Fox really thought about Trump. And as we've told you, it doesn't seem like there were many there who actually drank the Kool-Aid about the election conspiracies that they were feeding to viewers on a daily basis. And even with all of these bombshell revelations, it is not clear that it will change anything. Trump is not likely to lash out at Tucker like he normally would with someone who insulted him because they need each other and they're not alone. What we are seeing play out is this symbiotic relationship between not just Trump and Tucker, but them, Fox and the Republican Party as well. For their own survival, they cannot let each other go, no matter what they actually think of each other. So while Tucker privately says he hates Trump passionately, he will still defend him on air. Is lying really the reason the left despises Donald Trump? Or could the problem be, as is so often the case, the exact opposite of what they claim it is? What infuriates official Washington is not when Trump lies, it's when he tells the truth. Truth is the real threat to their power. 
And while Tucker claims that Trump was being destructive for skipping Biden's inauguration, he was quick to mock a CNN anchor for saying the exact same thing. This is looking like, uh, you know, a president or a foreign head of state leaving Washington. Uh, and, you know, in a way, uh, because the president is uh, defying these traditions of not being a part of the inauguration of uh, President Joe Biden, uh, he's almost leaving town like a, uh, an, uh, an autocrat, uh, ousted from power, heading off into exile. It's just hilarious that someone who is literally wearing a black mask on camera is calling someone else a fascist. Why are you wearing a mask? You're not going to get COVID outside at a live shot. And while Tucker privately denied all the election fraud claims, he has continued to publicly question the election, even as recently as this week. The protesters were angry. They believed that the election they had just voted in had been unfairly conducted. And they were right. In retrospect, it is clear the 2020 election was a grave betrayal of American democracy. Given the facts that have since emerged about that election, no honest person can deny it. And along the way, the Republican Party has been right there to help Tucker sell the lies, to keep the base all charged up on hate juice, angry and voting for Republicans, you know, so they can pass more tax cuts for the rich. Ta-da! Which is why House Speaker Kevin McCarthy gave Tucker access to that full 40,000 hours of January 6th security videos. As awful as it is, it actually makes sense when you remember that these people are all locked together in this plan. The Republican Party needs the base, which Trump speaks to in a way that almost no other candidate does. And Tucker broadcast Trump's propaganda to give the Trump base the ingredients, the content that they need to fuel their constant rage. And without Trump's people, let's just be honest. Tucker is basically just a multiple failed broadcaster. Remember, he started his hosting career at CNN on Crossfire before he got dog walked by Jon Stewart. Here's just one, what I wanted to tell you guys. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> stop, 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 stop hurting America. And then he had a short stint right here where I work at MSNBC with a primetime show called Tucker, which didn't survive. He even tried ABC's Dancing with the Stars to gain notoriety. But I mean, come on, <laughs> come on. It was only at Fox with Trump supporters that he found an audience eager to listen to his act. In a very real way, Donald Trump made Tucker Carlson. And joining me now is Charlie Sykes, editor-at-large of The Bulwark and an MSNBC columnist, along with Vicki Ward, investigative reporter and author of Vicki Ward Investigates on Substack. Thank you both for being here. I want to play you guys a clip. This is from 2003. This is, this is Tucker Carlson discussing Bill O'Reilly's success. This is the guy he ultimately replaced at Fox. Here he is. But I think there's kind of a deep phoniness at the center of his shtick. Uh, and again, as I say, the shtick is sort of built on this perception that he is the character he plays. He is every man, this kind of, po he's not right wing, he's a populist, this kind of Irish Catholic populist fighting for you against the powers that be. And that's great as a shtick, but I'm just saying the moment that it's revealed not to be true, it's over because the whole thing is predicated on the fact that he is who he says he is. And just nobody is that person, especially not someone who makes a million dollars, you know, many millions a year. Charlie, I want to remind you that That's that is good. Tucker Carlson talking about Bill O'Reilly, but he easily could be talking about Tucker Carlson. 
Well, yes. And and this is the thing about Tucker Carlson is Tucker Carlson knows what he's doing. He knows what the shtick is. And uh, even though apparently it turns out that he suffers from Trump derangement syndrome, I think you're absolutely <laughs> right when you point out that there's a codependency here. Um, they need each other. Uh, he is afraid of Trump, but mainly he's afraid of the audience. He needs to cling to Trump in order to keep his audience here. But um, I also think it's, you know, it's important to know that, yes, Tucker Carlson is 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 a hypocrite. He is a faker. He is a BSer. He's a terrible dancer. Um, but also um, that that this whole story that we're talking about right now, where Tucker Carlson is pushing not just the big lie about the election, but now the big lie about January 6th, is also the role that Kevin McCarthy is playing here. Because Kevin McCarthy has decided that he is going to be joined at the hip with a man that we know is one of the most dishonest broadcasters in America, who is who only like barely pretends to be a journalist. But none of this would be happening if Kevin McCarthy had not, when he was in that process of self-gelding, surrendering to the Freedom Caucus, um, one of the deals he made was that he had to give Tucker Carlson all of these hours. So here here you have the House GOP joined absolutely to what Fox is doing and what Tucker is doing and whatever Republicans were hoping that a Republican majority would do. What they're doing is basically uh, doing Tucker Carlson's um, they're, they're you know, they're, they're bringing Tucker Carlson his coffee. Um, they're acting as his uh, as his gophers. And that that's the political reality of the moment. Adam Kinzinger said it very, very uh, clearly. He said, uh, he said, if you want to, re- if you if you give Tucker Carlson everything he wants, he'll never say a bad word about you. I have to tell you, between Marjorie Taylor Greene and Tucker Carlson, they're even more powerful than Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump gets his talking points from Tucker Carlson. That was uh, former Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger. And Vicki Ward, this is the business model, right? The business model at Fox isn't giving the news. The business model is putting a news face on whatever it is that they believe their base already believes. It's a business model that's actually very successful. It's incredibly successful, Joy. You know, I'm thinking, I mean, I don't think viewers necessarily know kind of how the sausage gets made in our business. But for example, you know, when I've written a book about Jared Kushner, that's based on my reporting, when I've come on MSNBC's air and I've said, you know, this is what I report in my book. You or Alex Wood or whoever the anchor is at that moment will say a disclaimer, will say to the audience, this is Vicky's reporting. It has not been independently confirmed by an MSNBC. And that is how you build trust. But the trust you know, we've all learned, I'm not sure it's going to make any difference um, to the Fox News ecosystem, but we've all learned um, that Fox, Fox, you know, it works the other way around at Fox, that the journalists journalists at Fox listen to the viewers for what they're going to say. Uh, You know, it's, 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 it's all wrong. Um, But I will say this, the Tucker Carlson who you showed in the 2003 video clip there is the Tucker Carlson that I met. Um, I actually was one of his editors at Talk Magazine back in 2000. And back then he was the bow tie wearing, incredibly mm-hmm. centrist 
uh, Republican. In fact, we all thought he was a bit of a hero back in the day. Not only was he a very good writer, but he actually wrote a piece that was critical uh, of George W. Bush, and it and it caused him to be on the outs a bit with the Republican Party. So I have always wondered, who is the real Tucker Carlson? And um, it seems we are now more clear on that. Well, I mean, I listen, I, there are people who work with me on my show on the cruise side who worked with him, who crewed for him, who do not recognize this person that they see on that network. Now, they said they, they are insist that he was not that guy. Uh, let me play another clip of him. This is Tucker Carlson. This is earlier than that. This is 2000. No, this is later than that. This is in 2021. Maybe this is the new Tucker Carlson. Uh, let's hear him in 2021. I lie. If I'm really cornered or something, I lie. I really try not to. I try never to lie on TV. I, try, I just don't, you know, I don't like lying. I certainly do it, you know, out of weakness or whatever. And so then you have that Tucker Carlson, Charlie Sykes, angry, angry, angry that his network beat us and CNN in making the absolutely correct call on the election. Why would anyone defend that call? He says in his chat group with Laura Ingraham and uh, uh, Hannity. My anger at the news channel is pronounced, Ingraham says. It should be. We devote our lives to building the audience. And they let Chris Wallace and Leland Expletive Vittert, who's the polling guy, wreck it. Too much. This is not a journalist anymore. If you're saying no. it, it was no. a bad call no. No. and it was de it was destructive to do your job as no. the polling unit, that's who he is now. Well, and he also understands the business model that you explained. The business model is to be fan service. It is to provide a safe space for the Fox listeners to make sure that they are given exactly what they want to hear. And he understood that it was dangerous for Fox News to tell them something as as awful as that Donald Trump had lost the presidential election. So uh, what what Tucker Carlson is mainly interested in is protecting Tucker Carlson's brand, advancing Tucker Carlson's brand. And I think that that that's something that if he was on this show, he might actually admit this. I mean, if he's going to admit that he lies on the air, if he's willing to admit that, if lawyers are willing to go into court and say, well, Tucker Carlson's not really a journalist, you shouldn't really take him seriously. I think the mask is off, but there's something about Tucker Carlson that he honestly seems to feel at some level that no matter how far he pushes it, that he will never be held accountable, that the audience will never see the mask off. The way he described Bill O'Reilly, you know, was saying that once they figure out you're not that guy, it's all over. I think that the new Tucker Carlson thinks that it's never all over. They will never find out who he is, or even if they did, in this new era, they won't care. They won't care. I mean, this is a guy, he's no everyman. He doesn't pretend to be. He took the bow tie off, but he's still the fish sticks fortune, you know, very wealthy man. He wants to keep the money flowing. At one point in these uh, documents, the he's complaining about the stock price. He's worried about the stock yeah. price. But talk a little bit about Vicky that symbiosis between Fox and the Republican Party, because the other thing that we've learned in this filing is how much they operate as a political arm of the Republican Party. The relationship with Jared Kushner, the relationship between Fox executives, including Rupert Murdoch and the then White House, the Trump White House. It, it, it isn't a news relationship. There is access journalism that exists, unfortunately. But this is something much, much deeper than that. Really interesting, Joy. A hundred percent right. But actually, in my reporting, I said this on my newsletter last week, 
I spoke, you know, there's a difference between the public and the private here. Um, and privately, what a lot of Republican strategists tell me, and remember, these are people who get paid through the media spend, uh, through the ads, is, you know, they were pretty horrified uh, to learn in this lawsuit that uh, Rupert Murdoch had both given um, Jared Kushner the contents of an ad that had been bought uh, for the Biden campaign, uh, and that he was giving Jared Kushner um, debate strategy because, uh, you know, privately, they they tell me that's not good for anybody. It's not good. It just it just puts uh, Republicans have to stick to Fox. Uh, Democrats have to go on MSNBC, mainstream media. It breaks down trust. And people want people on both parties want to be able to buy ads. I mean, you know, they they want to do business, and uh, so I actually think that that is um, that's a pretty interesting takeaway that no one's going to admit to publicly. Yeah. Well, the reality is there are lots and lots of networks that cover politics. There are the main, there are the regular networks, CBS, NBC, ABC, there's MSNBC and CNN. The only one that stands out as not a news network and that is acting specifically as an arm of the political party that it supports on air is Fox. And they've admitted it in these depositions. It's the biggest news and media story of our lifetimes, I believe. Uh, Charlie Sykes, Vicki Ward, thank you very much. Up next on The Readout, a closer look at the man behind this latest Fox fiasco, who, in my humble opinion, has posed and continues to pose the single greatest threat to freedom and democracy in our modern era. The Readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingraham, and uh, Sean Hannity are not rogue operatives. They are the marquee names for the Fox primetime lineup. They are the key cash cows for the network, bringing in a total of 8 million viewers a night. Their popularity helps sustain the bottom line of their parent corporation, and their popularity is a key factor in why they will never be punished for lying to the Fox audience, ever. You see, Rupert Murdoch, chairman of the Fox Corporation, benefits from them and their pro-MAGA agenda, even if it's riddled with lies. Murdoch owns roughly 40% of the company, which is worth more than $3 billion. During his two-day deposition, we learned that Murdoch admitted that he didn't even believe the lies that his network aired about Dominion or the false claims that the election was stolen. 
He also confirmed that he did believe that Donald Trump and his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, sounded like they were bouncing off the walls and that they had gone mad. But here's the thing. He didn't do anything about it. In fact, he looked for ways to appease Trump because he didn't want the audience to think that the network was abandoning them. He also said that he didn't stop the commentators from promoting the false claims from Trump allies that the election was stolen, even though he could have. At one point, he told Dominion lawyers, the strategies are very clear. We report the news fairly and properly, and we allow commentators a lot of freedom. Murdoch went to great lengths to show that he was not in control of Fox and that he had no power to control the people that worked for him, even though he could could and would communicate with the CEO of Fox roughly twice a week. However, he did have a vested interest in Republican politics and the Republican agenda to the point where he was shaping private inf- sharing private information about the Biden campaign with Jared Kushner because they were friends. He also told Dominion lawyers that he would request that the network push specific candidates and agenda issues. While Murdoch would like the public and Dominion lawyers to believe that he's just a silent steward, his actions over and over again show that he was more like a benevolent dictator which means that if he really wanted to put a stop to the lies that were so destructive to American democracy, he absolutely could have. But here's the thing. He doesn't want to. Murdoch has a vested financial interest in making sure that his hosts feed their viewers the drugs they crave, more Trump and more of the big lie. As Tucker admitted in a text, the downside of the news business is that a lot of the time you don't get to choose the news, but you are required to react to it. So actually, we do earn our salaries. Isn't that ironic? Joining me now is Tim O'Brien, senior executive editor at Bloomberg Opinion and an MSNBC political analyst. I want to play for you one more thing, Tim. This is what, uh, t- you know, Rupert Murdoch is Australian. Let me let me let you listen to what the former Australian prime minister, his name is Malcolm Turnbull, said it about Rupert Murdoch. Take a listen. It does not operate uh, as a conventional news or journalistic operation any longer. Uh, its influence in the United States, in Britain, in all of the countries where it is to be found is now utterly partisan. What Murdoch has delivered, largely through Fox News in the United States, is exactly what Vladimir Putin wanted to achieve with his disinformation campaigns, turning one uh, part of America against another. What they have created is a market for crazy. Your thoughts, Tim? (laughs) Um, I agree mostly with what Turnbull said, although I don't think that Murdoch suddenly became this person in the United States, Joy. He's been doing this for decades. You know, his father was a newspaper man in Australia. He cut his, Rupert cut his teeth in tabloid journalism in Australia. He brought that model to the United Kingdom where they used mudslinging and misinformation to essentially handpick candidate and parties that he had a preference for. Rupert, and then he brought that model to the United States, and now we're seeing it in full bloom. So he has been at this for a long time. I think he's just being scrutinized as a propagandist and as a threat to civil society in a way that he never was before because he wedded this disinformation machine to the candidacy and the persona and the politics of Donald Trump. Um, Yeah. Rupert Murdoch doesn't care about journalism. Rupert Murdoch doesn't care about getting facts in front of the American public so society can improve. Rupert Murdoch cares about money and he cares about power. And he's accumulated and wielded both of those things to great effect for a very long time. Now, last year, 
he met with the institutional investors, shareholders of both News Corp and Fox and Fox Corp. News Corp owns the Wall Street Journal and the New York Post. And when he met with those investors last year, he said that it was time for Donald Trump to move on. He had overstayed his welcome. Everyone would be better off if Trump moved on. When he met with Fox Corp investors, which, of course, owns Fox News, he didn't mention Trump at all. Now, why hmm. is that? It's not because Rupert Murdoch is forgetful. It's because the Donald Trump phenomenon and Trumpism and the Trump presidency were profitable to Fox Corp because its properties depend upon it. And that's why yeah. privately Murdoch, as these documents have shown, will say, oh, you know, I, I don't believe January 6th, uh, uh, you know, was, was, was good for the country. I don't think the election yeah. was stolen. These people are crazy. But he does nothing to stop it because it feeds his bottom line. And I feel like people need to start understanding Fox and understanding Rupert Murdoch, the New York Post, even the way they run the Wall Street Journal. The goal is not the news. The goal is to create more Republicans and to sustain the Republican Party, just like the goal in Britain was to make sure that the conservatives always win because he wants these political outcomes and he happens to have a media empire that can produce it. In this country right now, 61 percent of Republicans right now do not believe the election was fair and think Trump was the real winner of the election. Let me let you listen to some errors. Arizona voters literally repeating Fox talking points. Why are we using the same system that they used in Venezuela? Many of these systems are Democrat owned. How can we trust the checks and balances of, of, of these votes? It doesn't matter where the vote comes from, whether it's a Dominion voting machine or a mail-in ballot. How can we trust that if George Soros owns over 40 percent of these machines? We just don't trust. And because of that trust, mm -hmm. We don't believe the truth that's being told to us. You know, people blame Donald Trump for that, Tim, but Fox News is just as responsible for radicalizing millions and millions of Americans to the point where there was an insurrection as Trump was. And they don't even need Trump to do that anymore. Because they are propagandists, Joy. As Turnbull correctly pointed out, um, it, the way that Rupert Murdoch acts and the way that his company runs is akin to the way that Vladimir Putin has sown disinformation and propaganda in Russia. It is not about enlightening people. It's about either brainwashing them or damaging their faith in institutions to the extent that we now have a generation of voters who are not going to have faith in the outcome of election. Only because a president and the man who oversees Fox News jointly portrayed the, the electoral process as tainted and corrupt. And I think that's why the Dominion and the Smartmatics law, Smartmatic lawsuit as well are important because the standard yeah. in a libel case, actual malice, is evident in all of those documents. And, and if, go ahead. No, 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 we're, we're, no, go ahead. Really quick. We're out of time. So we're, well, and, and if you're going to rein in, the, the courts need to rein this in. It, there needs to be a lesson learned through all media organizations. It's a difference between news gathering and propagandistic behavior. Amen. Amen. And the Republican Party needs to learn this, too, because their legitimacy is also in question. Tim O'Brien, thank you very much. Thanks, Still ahead. Sure. Tucker, thank you. Tucker doubles down, speaking of him, on airing those cherry-picked scenes from the January 6th security footage, despite the growing backlash, not just from Democrats, but also from Republicans and those humiliating revelations from the Dominion case. More after this. It's Monday night. 
It's Monday, everyone. We're happy to have you here on this Monday night. Lots of news to get to tonight. Make more of your Mondays on MSNBC with Jen Psaki and Rachel Maddow back to back. If you were talking to a voter, what would you say to them about why this case matters to them? Was this the kind of proceeding you would expect in a typical New York DA's case, or does this really feel different? Inside with Jen Psaki at 8 p.m. Eastern, followed by the Rachel Maddow Show at 9, Mondays on MSNBC. Monday night. Stay up to date on the biggest issues of the day with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Each morning, you'll get analysis by experts you trust, video highlights from your favorite shows. 2024 is now truly the most important election in the history of our country. Previews of our podcasts and documentaries, plus written perspectives from the newsmakers themselves, all sent directly to your inbox each morning. Get the best of MSNBC all in one place. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at msnbc.com. Tucker Carlson is doubling down on his revisionist history of the January 6th Capitol attack, despite backlash from Democrats, Republicans and the chief of the Capitol Police. Even President Biden called him out, tweeting more than 140 officers were injured on January 6th. I've said before, how dare anyone diminish or deny the hell they went through? I stand with the Capitol Police. I hope House Republicans feel ashamed for what was done to undermine our law enforcement. Instead, Tucker is taking aim at those who are putting his lies on blast, crying censorship while showing more cherry-picked clips from that trove of 40,000 hours, which, just as a reminder, no actual journalists or news networks have access to. In his latest segment, he blamed Nancy Pelosi for the Capitol Police being unprepared for what happened that day. Many in federal law enforcement knew perfectly well there was going to be a huge demonstration in Washington on the afternoon of January 6, 2021, and that it could become potentially violent. There is no debate about that fact. The FBI knew. But it's also clear that many on the U.S. Capitol Police Force, the frontline officers who protect the Congress, did not know. They had no idea what was coming. And because they didn't know, they were completely unprepared for what happened that day. But but wait, Tucker, hold on. If they were all just meek little sightseers, what exactly was the Capitol Police unprepared for? What did they need to be prepared for? Nevertheless, the man Tucker says that he hates passionately, Donald Trump, is standing behind him, writing on his pretend Twitter, the unselect committee of political hacks and thugs has been totally discredited. They should be tried for fraud and treason. Those imprisoned and persecuted should be exonerated and released. Yes. Yeah. But it's important to remind that, remember that these clips, even if they're not retouched, as Tucker claims, uh, are just a tiny glimpse of a four hour plus insurrection, one where people were killed, including police officers, countless more brutally injured and where Democratic and Republican lawmakers feared for their lives. People were chanting, hang the vice president. And just because you show a couple of minutes here and there where all that wasn't going on doesn't change that reality. Joining me now is Timothy Hafey, former U.S. attorney and lead investigator for the January 6th Select Committee. And Tim, um, you know, the disingenuous nature of this, these broadcasts aside, um, Tucker does have access to this stuff that none of us can. So I want to ask you to go through and go through some of it with me since he's not asking any serious questions. There's one piece where, um, there's one piece of the video that he shows where you see officers sort of walking with the guy in the costume, in the, in the, in the the silly costume that called himself, I don't remember what he called himself from Arizona. He's not at that moment doing anything violent and they seem to be walking him into the chamber. You've had access to see all this footage. What was happening before and after that? 
So a lot of police officers, Joy, inside the Capitol tried to de-escalate the situation. And that's done with conversation. Uh, they didn't put their hands on and arrest everyone in the Capitol. They could not. They knew that they were numerically overwhelmed. So they did what good police officers do. They tried other means rather than force to repel the violence, to get people to leave. So what you see in the video are officers trying to get the QAnon shaman who has been, who has pled guilty and been sentenced to four years in prison for his actions inside the Capitol to leave. Uh, this narrative that somehow they were escorting him, you know, the Capitol Police chief himself came out with the, just an excoriating statement criticizing that mischaracterization of the very good work that the men and women of the Capitol Police did on January 6th. He's right. There's no evidence that they were facilitating or allowing this riot, this insurrection. They were doing their best to stop it. And that includes de-escalation, which is what you see in these tapes. So, and and I, I will also note that there is the very famous video of Eugene Goodman running up the stairs and a bunch of gang of these goons is chasing him. Now, he had a gun, right? But you don't see him pull that gun out. You don't see him do anything other than kind of guide them up the stairs. And then he directs them to go one way when instead of the other way, which would have put them in the chamber with lawmakers. You're not you could not claim with any realism that he's guiding them or helping them. He's trying to, number one, keep himself from getting beaten to death. And second of all, as you said, he's de-escalating the situation, being a professional. There's a piece of video that's going around social media. I want to play it for you real quick. It's, a, it's very short, about 14 seconds. Take a look. You can hear at the end of that video people chanting F Antisha, F Antifa, using the curse word. Um, and they're using that to claim that the people who stormed the Capitol were really Antifa, that the Antifa people were doing the real violence and the rest of them were peaceful. The person that you could see hitting the uh, windows with a pole was dressed in a very similar way to the guy they called Umbrella Man. It reminded me of it. The Umbrella Man, I don't know if you remember this from the previous summer in 2020, there were these white nationalist um, accelerationalists, they call themselves, who were going into these protests. You can see him dressed the same way, smashing windows, in some cases setting fires. There was a piece in the Washington Post uh, that talked about him being uh, identified and arrested and that he was with a white nationalist group that was trying to add to the violence and sort of create a violent atmosphere. Did When you were doing this investigating, did you see any evidence that there were people, accelerationist types that were getting involved in any way on January 6th? Absolutely not. And we looked for it, right? One of the false narratives that we set out to investigate was whether or not there were Antifa or accelerationist, as you call it, in the crowd. And we found absolutely no evidence of any presence of accelerationists. And yeah. importantly, we that was consistent, Joy, with the intel that the police had in advance, right? All of the intelligence closer and closer to January 6th suggested that all of the Black Lives Matter, Antifa, sort of anti-racist protesters were staying away directing their people uh, uh, in plain sight electronically to avoid January 6th. The intelligence suggested increasingly that it was uh, an attack on Congress or the potential for violence directed against the joint session. And, and that was exactly what played out. And to be clear, 
we did investigate that and did not find any evidence of Antifa presence uh, in the crowd on January 6th. Thank you. This is why we wanted to have you on, uh, Tim, because, you know, we're not Fox. Like, we actually want to ask somebody who was actually involved in the investigation to disabuse people because people are sharing this stuff on social media and claiming that they have come up with some new facts. You investigated it. So I appreciate you being here to actually, you know, give us some reality and some facts. Uh, Timothy, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Please come back. Uh, And up next, women around the world mark International Women's Day with rallies, celebrations and protests as women's rights in many nations, including right here in the U.S., are increasingly under attack. We will be right back. Today is International Women's Day, a day when we celebrate the bravery of women around the world. But this year, the picture, frankly, is pretty grim. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres said today that gender equality is 300 years away and warned that it is vanishing before our eyes. He mentioned Afghanistan specifically, where women and girls have been erased from public life by the Taliban, with women barred from attending universities and secondary schools and required to be covered head to toe in public. There's also Iran, where a woman's death in police custody after allegedly breaking the regime's dress codes launched women's rights protests around the country. And now thousands of schoolgirls appear to have been deliberately poisoned. There is no clear evidence to suggest who might be behind it or if it's connected to the protests. But critics of the government say Iranian authorities are ultimately to blame. But as we know very well, the rollbacks of rights aren't just happening in faraway countries. They're happening right here in America, where we've backslid 50 years to the point where abortion bans are literally threatening women's lives including the five women who are suing Texas over its draconian abortion ban, saying it has caused them catastrophic harm. All five women had wanted their pregnancies until they found out their fetuses had zero chance of survival. But due to the ambiguity in the law and the threat of prison, doctors refused to provide care, putting their health at severe risk. Four of the women ultimately had to go out of state, with one receiving care in Texas only after she had a life-threatening infection for multiple days. The women told their stories in a harrowing press conference yesterday. I cannot adequately put into words the trauma and despair that comes with waiting to either lose your own life, your child's life, or both. For days, I was locked in this bizarre and avoidable hell. We just felt completely lost. Like we were in a dark room feeling for a door. We couldn't even get answers to basic questions. I'm here today because I don't want anyone else to go through anything like what we went through. People who think overturning Roe won't affect them, either because they can't get pregnant or would never choose an abortion, need to know what is going on because of these laws. Believe me, you never know when you or someone you love will need one. I love Texas, and it kills me that my own state does not seem to care if I live or die. While proponents of the ban say there is an exception for medical emergencies, the lawsuit is asking for a ruling that clarifies what an emergency is and states that doctors are able to use their judgment to decide if abortions are medically necessary. We'll be keeping a close eye on that case. And up next, we'll have much more on women's fight for freedom around the world. 
Yes, yes, today is International Women's Day, and over the past 24 hours, women have held protests around the globe to fight for equality and freedom. It's a battle we're fighting in our own country as well, with the rollback of abortion and LGBTQ rights throughout this country. Joining me now is Aaron Haynes, editor-at-large of the 19th, and Masi Alinejad, an Iranian-American journalist and activist. And uh, Masi, I do want to start with you, because, you know, when you think about International Women's Day, uh, my mind goes and heart goes re- immediately to Iran. Uh, talk about the state of the fight for women's rights um, in Iran. Thank you so much. I mean, before even start this, I have to say that I'm in LA to be at Time Women of the Year event. And um, I was told that I have to wear cocktail dress. It's a dress code. And I said to myself that, wow, in my country, we are fighting against a dress code. And if women choose what to wear, they'll get blinded like these women. I want to actually name them. Ghazal, Nilufar, Rahele, Hanane, Kosar. These are the women in my country. They took to the streets peacefully protesting against the brutal death of Mahsa Amini, who got killed just because a, a little bit of her hair was shown. And these women got blinded. More than 500 innocent protesters got killed. Women are facing rape in prison. This is the situation in Iran. But I want to tell you that uh, women in Iran are still in front line. And today for International Women's Day, they still took back to the streets. They removed their hijab. They started to dance, which all of these activities are punishable crime. To say that we are here. You can take our eye, but not our hope. You can take our yeah. body, our breath, because many of the schoolgirls are under chemical attack. You can take our breath, but not our hope. We are here to bring a gender apartheid regime down. Amen. You can get an amen. I, I, I'm not in church, but you can get an amen for that. Uh, Aaron, you interviewed uh, our U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Linda Thomas Green, uh, Greenfield. And I just wonder, you know, what was her sense of, you know, balance of hope and dread? Um, because we have what's happening in Iran, which is a scandal upon the world. You have what's happening in Afghanistan, where girls have been ripped back out of school and out of public life. And then you come to the United States, which at this point ranks, where do we rank? Uh, like 15, no, 21st. 21st um, on on the rankings of justice, security, justice and security for women. That's how far we rank below Estonia and other countries. And we've lost abortion rights. Where where is her sense of hope versus dread? Well, you know, uh, the ambassador told me, you know, that that the the status of of women and girls in the U.S. and around the country right now is mixed. I mean, obviously, yes, there are those gains in terms of representation in the U.S. and around the world. But there is still a lot of progress to be made. And the reality is that for many women, uh, both in America and and abroad, uh, women are feeling less safe, less free and less equal. Right. And so uh, she definitely talked about the situation in Iran, Afghanistan and Ukraine, where you see women on the front lines uh, of, of, of this battle for women's rights, for democracy. And, and, and also you see them, you know, in Afghanistan, education is at risk, uh, literally uh, sexual violence is a weapon of war in Ukraine and, and, and women are losing their lives in Iran uh, while peacefully protesting. And so uh, certainly this is something that the ambassador is, is, is concerned about, that they're continuing to address. She said that keeping the pressure up on the government uh, of Iran is certainly something that is a priority for her. 
And Masi, do you feel that there there is sort of an international, I mean, it's International Women, Women's Day, but there's so many fights, you know, Aaron just mentioned Ukraine, that rape is being used as a weapon of war in Ukraine. You've got, you can go all the way around the world. Um, do you feel from your point of view that there is an international coalition of women who feel that they're fighting the same fight and support one another enough? It should be a coalition of women fighting for their rights. But you know what uh, actually breaks my heart? That for years and years, Iranian women, women of Afghanistan have been fighting like lonely soldiers. So for, for me, um, fighting against compulsory job for eight years, echoing the voice of Iranian women fighting against morality police, echoing the voice of women of Afghanistan saying that, you know, this is 21st century. We have to be, we have to be uh, free to choose what we want to wear, to choose what kind of lifestyle we want to have. Uh, we don't have democracy to change the law. So that is why we have to change the regime. So uh, I strongly believe that right now, this is the time. There should be, I mean, today on International Women's Day, we, the women of Iran and Afghanistan, we launched a campaign to actually call on the democratic countries, on the governments, to actually expand the, the the apartheid in the legal definition to gender apartheid as well. So I think we have to keep the sisterhoods. When it comes to Afghanistan, yeah. to yeah. women in Iran, some sisters in the Western country, they're worried that they're not going to touch compulsory hijab issue because they don't want to cause Islamophobia. It's all about my body, my choice. And we have yep. to brave, be brave enough. doesn't matter if we are Republican, we are left, liberal, Democrats. When it comes to women's rights, we have to stick together. We have to be together and uh, put away our uh, political agenda. When it comes to Iran and Afghanistan, we cannot survive. We cannot live. That's why we need the global uh, feminist movement to be with us and echo our voice as well. Uh, we, we are. I wish we had more time. Uh, we're going to have to have you both come back. Aaron Haynes, Masi Alina Jad, thank you both very much. That is tonight's readout. Get the latest updates on this year's high-stakes election with MSNBC's How to Win 2024 newsletter. When you subscribe, you'll get expert analysis on key races sent straight to your inbox, including articles written by the host of the How to Win podcast, Jennifer Palmieri. Subscribe today at msnbc.com slash win.